mean I'm a hot rod man. Yeah, I'm a hot rod man. Look out, little mama. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road. And hopefully, God willing, everything is going well with you today and yesterday and, God willing, tomorrow. And hopefully it is not too cold. I heard on Rural Radio during the Market Day report that in some sections of Montana, and I'm sure that there were areas that were colder, because there always is. I know over here on the farm, we're only a couple of miles outside of the town of Hackettstown, but, uh, you know, there's microclimates. But that what they reported on Rural Radio was that I think it was Chester, Montana, but no disrespect if I got your town wrong. We say, Chester wasn't as cold as we were. It was negative 54 degrees Fahrenheit. That's actual temperature. That's actual mercury temperature. All right, that's not this wind chill stuff. That's the actual temperature. So that is very, very cold. And my prayers and thoughts are with everyone who is who is experiencing, all the people and animals that are experiencing extreme cold like that. That is just brutal 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 cold and uh you know from the auto industry we go up to uh Bemidji, minnesota a lot and the auto industry uses Bemidji, minnesota uh that's supposed to be uh one of the the best places to do cold weather testing i'm not going to say it is the coldest place but it i guess they've come to some conclusion the industry collectively that uh, Bemidji is the place to be in the winter, maybe because of other things and the road network and that you could, some hotels or someplace to eat. But I don't think, I've never personally have been to Bemidji, but it is on my bucket list of things to do. So, but I'm a little bit too young for the bucket list, so I just have to form the bucket list. You might say, you're crazy. What do you want to go up there in the wintertime? Well, for two reasons. Number one, is that as a calibration engineer, you love to test your calibrations, you love to test your equipment, you love to test your engines, right? And you need extremes to test, you need extreme heat in the desert, and you need extreme cold. So I would love to be able to go up to Bemidji, and then also that town in that area is full of prototype vehicles from around the world. So, uh, they usually cover them up. And if you happen to be living near Bemidji and you know the town, please reach out to me at Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Don't worry, when I go to Bemidji, I'm not going to bother you and knock on your door. But uh, a lot of the hotels and motels in that area, they have, you'll see prototype cars <clears throat> pre production. And they usually up there for, well, not usually, they are up there for cold weather testing. And then they go down to, arizona and out to the desert in the summertime for hot weather testing and there's all different they uh all different places that they test within not only the united states but in canada but predominantly in the united states and some do go to alaska so it's very very uh very very interesting so like anything in life if you're in that genre you want to be able to put your work and your skills to the test right and machinery uh loves tempered weather right 72 degrees and balmy <laughs> loves it engines love it transmissions love it hydraulics love it and people love it and uh but the extreme cold does come so that is what we're going to be talking about today what you need to do to get an engine to start in the cold weather 
And that doesn't mean it has to necessarily be minus 54 degrees Fahrenheit like it was last week in Montana. It may be where you live only zero Fahrenheit, or it may be 20 below, or it may be 10 degrees positive. But there are a number of things that you can do. And just like a successful crop needs needs to start long before you put the seed in the ground and a lot of the things that you need to do to have an engine start regardless of it's on the car truck uh well i'm not gonna say irrigation pump you're not gonna be pumping water but backup generator whatever it may be uh needs to start way before it's 54 degrees below zero so you don't go through the you don't go through the the combine or through the field with the combine and that's when you start putting on your fungicide and your uh, foliar nutritions right so oh my god the yield monitor says it's not it's only 100 bushels per acre well that's too late now buddy you have to think about next year and the same thing happens when you are dealing with engines and equipment but we're going to discuss today is what you need to do the day that it is cold because we can't turn the clock back if you didn't do if you didn't plant your crop properly or you didn't fertilize properly you mudded that corn in well we can't turn that around now all right so we're going to discuss the things that need to be done the day that it is cold and hopefully you have done those foundational things that we will briefly discuss but never forget that agriculture runs on machinery and profits on reliability and we'll be back right after this short sponsor break a new corn trait for 2024 i'm tom nicoletti with focus on agriculture at the texas farm bureau radio network my guest today is adam tice he is u.s corn marketing lead with Pioneer. And Adam, as corn farmers in Texas get ready for the new planting season in 2024, what is going to be available for them in the way of new corn trade? A lot of excitement right now. We just advanced our last and most recent class of Pioneer corn hybrids for the U.S. and a lot of excitement with that class, both on the genetics that it's bringing in terms of yield and agronomics, but certainly on the trait side as well. As what's really exciting is we're gonna. This will be our first class of Power Corn List traded Pioneer hybrids, and really what we're bringing there is exclusive genetics that are bringing that additional yield punch. In fact, with our class of Power Corn List hybrids, we're seeing a 9.3 advantage over the competition with that first class that we have. So that's certainly exciting. But also when you look at what the trait's allowing farmers to do, it's just some options that they don't have today on their corn acres. So first of all, we're bringing another mode of action for above-ground insects. Certainly there's a lot of challenging above-ground insects in that market down there with different flight patterns. It's reassuring to know there's another mode of action there to help protect that corn plant season long and just lower the overall risk, giving farmers a good chance for success. On the herbicide side, you know, managing weeds and keeping those fields clean is a perennial challenge, of course, for a lot of lot of fields out there. So we're now bringing the Enlist system that has been very popular and soybeans and cotton to the corn acre, which is really exciting for a lot of folks because the benefits that we're seeing in those other crops are also true for corn. So the low volatility aspect of Enlist chemistry and also that wide application window is giving farmers a lot of choice and also a lot of uh, safety in how they're applying those products with a very wide application window. So a lot of, a lot of give and take on the timing when they can get in those fields as well. That is Adam Tice with Pioneer. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. All righty, welcome back to the show. And as I said in the first segment, we're going to be talking about what to do to get an engine to start when it is extremely cold. And uh, it doesn't make too much of a difference how cold it is. Well, if you're down in Florida and it gets down to 20 degrees, that's very, very cold for you. 
but the engine in most parts in for, for all intents and purposes feels that but only to a certain extent we're talking about real cold buddy down below zero or very near to zero or as i said in the uh opening segment this past week up in montana and i know the guys the listeners from canada go it gets cold up here too oh i know it certainly does because i have a quite a bit of audience up there and i am very grateful for them but uh the first thing that i do want to address is when you listen to the weather and today meaning today modern times they always talk about wind chill and you have to decipher because the weather person and usually a woman today no disrespect and uh you know says oh it feels like 54 degrees below zero but it's only 10 degrees above zero well the thing is that i want to clear this up once and for all machinery engines hydraulic systems okay do not understand or are influenced in any negative way by wind chill so if you go so if the weather person says that with the wind that the temperature is minus 10 fahrenheit but the with the wind chill it feels like minus 30 fahrenheit then you feel that and your animals feel that you have to be a living thing to feel that an inanimate object like an engine or a tractor or a snowplow truck or your snowblower right uh does not feel wind chill but i am going to put a caveat to that so it does not feel it so if you were to take an engine uh, let's for example let's say you took a uh a snowblower using that for example so it's an open frame engine it has where you took an engine the 351 ford because i'm a ford guy and you put it on an engine stand out in the middle of a cornfield in north dakota and it's 54 degrees and you out minus minus 54 we can use that montana temperature and you let that engine stay there and it's cold soaked what cold soak means when you talk about temperature just like the opposite is heat soak is that everything absorbs that all of the parts absorb the cold and become an equilibrium with the ambient temperature when we discuss heat soak that means that all the parts are absorbing the heat that is in the engine and becoming an equilibrium with that and usually with heat soak the temperature actually elevates because the cooling system on the engine is shut off but i don't want to go there right now we'll talk about that this summer so you put the engine out there and you let it stay in it all cold soaks so everything in that engine that 351 ford on an engine run stand is minus 54 degrees fahrenheit the oil is that cold the, te- the valve springs that are cold everything is that cold the gaskets are that cold and now you put a wind against it and there's a wind in the news person the weather person saying well with the wind chill it feels like it's 100 below zero to that engine it is minus 54 degrees fahrenheit now the caveat that i want to attach that because it's important for you to understand is that and remember we have this 351 ford on a test stand right out the middle so no fenders no anything and then we get this thing started and we run it for an hour and the coolant temperature comes up to 200 degrees everything is good the exhaust mount everything is beautiful right up uh, operating well into operating temperature and now you shut it off 
and it's a very windy day, so there's a lot of wind chill. The wind will pull the heat out of the engine quicker than if there were no wind, but it's not going to get below minus 54 degrees Fahrenheit. So to put a common, a practical application to this, and we're going to go back to the snowblower, right? So if you start your snowblower and it's running, and let's say you had it in the in the machinery shed or in your garage, and it's not that and not as cold as outside, and you get it started, and you plow and you you're blowing snow or whatever you're plowing snow with a track that makes no difference and you go to take a break and you shut the engine off and it's and it's minus 54 degrees outside and it's got a wind chill down to minus 70 so the wind is blowing well what will happen is that engine will reject whatever residual heat it has into the atmosphere quicker than if there was no wind but it's still so it's still not going to get down below the actual ambient temperature all right you may feel it all right but the the engine does not feel it but if you had an application like that so let's say you had a tractor in the machinery shed and you're going to plow snow all right and you're going to plow snow with it and in the machinery shed let's say it was 40 degrees all right and um partial heated storage and it starts right up you put it outside you're plowing snow oh it's nice and beautiful everything is warm you'll be listening to rural radio on uh on the stereo system and you say i'm going to go in the house and get a cup of coffee i'm going to shut the engine off and then we go in the house get a cup of coffee well now the wind is blowing all right so it's going to give it's going to reject the heat a lot quicker even though it has a cab around it and even though it has uh, a a hood and 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 enclosed relatively enclosed engine it's going to reject the heat so not to belabor this but the take-home message here is that the wind chill will cause a rejection of heat sooner but will not be not impact the equipment as far as the air temperature is concerned it's not going to feel it all right now another thing to come into mind is that if you don't advertise your diesel fuel properly and you get this engine running and you're going down the road and if you specifically like an older pump line not uh uh, older mechanical injection pump line and nozzle system all right then it always recirculates the fuel so what will happen is that you're having some heat in the fuel from it going through the injection pump and then going back to the tank. Now, if you have a lot of so if you have a lot of wind chill, that wind going across the fuel line, the return line, is gonna drop its temperature sooner. Is it gonna drop it below the ambient temperature? No, it's not. So it's just the exact opposite of evaporative cooling in the summertime right so in evaporative cooling if you're sweating your body is giving off the heat through the moisture into the air and this is the exact opposite so if you don't advertise your diesel fuel properly and you go outside and you are running let's say the semi down the road so you're getting a lot of wind chill even though there's no wind is that that fuel return line is going to give up rejected heat whatever heat it had from going through the engine compartment and the injection pump a lot quicker but will never get below the ambient temperature all right so that is very very important for you to understand that okay the next thing i want to discuss is that since we're talking a little bit about diesel fuel is that anti-gel 
is only one component of what you need to put in your diesel fuel all right so yes so anti-gel you don't want the fuel to gel you need it to flow but also you are very concerned about acetate additive and a lot of people just worry about anti-gel but if you but you need to use a additive that has five or six or seven degree seven different modes of action not degrees of action modes of action and why is cetane so important so if you if you <clears throat> want to cheap out and you say well a hot rod farm that guy from new jersey says i gotta worry about cetane especially in the winter because what is the definition of cetane cetane is the fuel's anxiousness to combust to ignite so if you have very so you could have all the anti-gel you could have it up up pardon my french up your yin yang right you could put it 100 degrees below zero it's not going to gel all right but you have a very very low cetane number the higher the cetane number the more anxious it is to ignite and the whole thing is to get whether it's a gasoline or diesel engine to get it to start once you get it to start that's 90 percent of the battle even if you have to let it run to warm up all right it's but getting it to start is 90 percent of the battle that's <clears throat> that's that that's what it's all about and oftentimes when it's extremely cold you do not have many opportunities to get it to start because the battery is going to be weaker even brand new battery fully charged the battery's going to be weaker the internal friction in the engine in the cranking motor which is the starter motor is going to be increased so it's going to draw more current and the thing is that so you may only have this one chance right just like you're watching the commodity market well i got one chance to sell the corner the high because the market may drop right after that you you may only have one chance to get that thing to light off so if you so you it's very important that you have high cetane fuel all right and the way you're going to get high cetane fuel is to use an additive so let's say only two modes of action right i'd like to have seven modes of action but only two modes of action so we have anti-gel all right and then we have cetane so we're going to raise this 40 cetane fuel to 47 or 48 that engine is going to start easier all right it may not crank it's not going to crank any faster but it's going to have combustion start easier and that's very very important and so many times people are not concerned with that they think they think nothing of cetane it's the exact opposite of octane but you have to pay attention to that so if you had a high cetane fuel and you only have and you would only have one shot even if you have two shots or three shots to get that thing started once it builds enough heat in that diesel engine that that cylinder for it to ignite it's going to ignite a lot easier and at that particular point if you could get it to ignite five or ten degrees temperature sooner that's the difference between it running and not running so just sit pat during this this short break and when we come back we're going to finish up here When the work is done and it's time to relax, that's where you come around the bend with me, Rebecca Warner, a.k.a. Beck, the host of The Bend Radio Show. Each week, we bring you the stories from the trail that you just don't hear anywhere else, from Western lifestyle and entertainment and rodeo to stalking that trophy deer to climbing in the kayak and even some campfire cuisine. Come around the bend Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern time each week on Rural Radio Channel 147. 
Tune in to Rural Evening News on Rural Radio, where we walk you through the headlines of the day surrounding agriculture, policy, and markets from around the world. It's an unbiased take on what's happening, so you can focus on growing the best crop. Rural Evening News, weeknight, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, on Rural Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 147, your agribusiness and Western lifestyle channel. Rural Radio is the first and only national radio channel serving rural Americans on Sirius XM. Nowhere else on radio can you catch Western sports every single day, making Rural Radio the undisputed leader for Western sports coverage. Between our coverage and downloading the Cowboy Channel Plus app, you'll have access to any major Western sports news and events 24-7. Rural Radio Channel 147, the agribusiness and Western lifestyle channel. Hey y'all, my name is Jenna Heideman. Each Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, I get to hear the music and life stories of singers and songwriters with Western roots. I'm not a cowgirl, but as much as I love this culture, I dang sure should have been one. Tune in right here on Rural Radio to Should Have Been a Cowgirl and hear the stories right from our Music Grove studios that you won't find anywhere else. A little bit of rodeo and a whole lot of country music. That's Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio, channel 147 on Sirius XM. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're going to finish up here. We only got a few minutes left. This show goes so fast. All right, so uh, what are you going to do? But the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is that procedure. And if you have a, well, on a gasoline engine, anything that's fuel injected, which is the past 40 years almost, and on a tier four diesel, the system is going to be designed with a two second prime. So you're, so let's talk about gasoline first, all right? And, um, when you turn the key on, so when you get into your your truck or your car and it's fuel injected or your or you have an ATV or whatever, do not go immediately into crank. I don't care if it's in the summertime. The first two seconds when the key turns on is the ECU is powered up and it's what's called a two-second prime. And it turns the fuel pump on to prime the fuel rail. So what you want to do is now in some applications, you may not hear the relay click, you may not hear the pump run, but you put the key on, you turn the key on so all of the the light, the idiot lights are on, the telltales are on, then you count, if you don't, if you can't hear it, you count one, two, three, give it three seconds. And if you could hear it, you hear bzzz, click. That's the fuel pump building fuel pressure to the fuel rail. All right, then you go into crank. You don't touch the accelerator. You don't do anything. What the system will do is it'll look at the coolant temperature, the air temperature, and it will decide how much fuel to give the engine through the injector. Now, as much as I love ethanol, e anything greater than probably E15, all right? So E10 at the most, E15 at the most, I don't have E15 here, but E10, all right? You don't want to run a high ethanol content gasoline in extreme cold weather, all right? The facts are the facts. It is what it is. Ethanol does not like to ignite and to vape, I should say, like to vaporize in the cold and can potentially give you a problem, <clears throat> And this is, uh, like I said, I'm a farmer, I'm pro-ethanol, but if it's going to be 40 degrees below zero, 30 degrees below zero, if I could put E0 in that engine, I would like that much better, all right? We have only E10 here in New Jersey. We don't get that cold, 
<clears throat> I've started E10 down to 22 below zero out in Ohio, and it's been fine, but you don't want that. But anyway, to get back to the starting procedure, you're going to turn the key on, you're going to wait. And I want you to get into this habit. So you're going to wait three seconds. One, two, three. If you're able to hear the fuel pump run, click. That's the relay shutting it off. So now you know you have fuel up to the rail. All right. So it's all primed, like priming an old well pump, right? And then you go into crank. You don't touch the throttle. You continue right into crank. You You don't have to turn the key back off. And then you let it crank and she should light off okay and then you're not going to touch anything now what happens if you don't listen to me and you go right into crank you go you're getting there crank the motor right but what you're trying to do is build fuel pressure in the rail while the injectors are being opened so that means that you are not going to build fuel pressure as soon and as i said in the last segment is that you only have so much time to crank it you only have so much like money in the bank you only have so much in your checking account that battery is only going to have so much reserve to crank that engine all right and if you don't let it if it doesn't light immediately then you may have potentially have problems plus also that you have to recognize that with saying gas engine here <clears throat> when you're cranking the fuel injectors are pulsing you didn't prime the fuel rail that the fuel pump is trying to fill a rail with the injectors open and you're going to dribble fuel into the cylinders all right uh, liquid fuel because at that particular point what is the word i'm using you're dribbling it all right is that it's not it's not going to vaporize because it is not atomized remember atomization is a liquid fuel in small particles your sprayer atomizes fuel all right when you when, when, when you when you have a problem and you have your your 24d going to a neighbor's field that's volatization it became volatile it became a vapor all right so it will not the engine will not start on liquid fuel and if you go right into crank in that extreme cold and you drip fuel in there you're gonna wet the plugs buddy and once you wet the spark plugs all bets are off she's not going off all right because electricity will take the path of least resistance and it will not jap- jump the gap at a spark plug it's going to go right to ground and you could crank till the good lord comes home and you and once you wet those cylinders and you wet those plugs it's all over it's not going to evaporate quickly whatsoever all right so that's very very important tier four diesel the same thing all right you need to be able to <clears throat> prime that fuel rail they have an electric electric lift pump so you you have a power stroke you have a cummins you have a Duramax, you have a john deere you got a fend you're gonna bzz, click all right it's gonna prime that fuel rail because it's got a fuel rail that's very similar in most applications to a gasoline engine fuel rail all right so it's not it's not that different and it's the same thing it's going to look at the sensors you're not going to want to touch the throttle the only thing that is a little bit more forgiving that if you went to crank all right then and you open the injectors then the fact of the matter is is that it's more forgiving as far as there's no spark plug to wet but keep in mind also that you're going to diesel, you're going to have to either let those glow plugs heat, which you're aware of, right? Or your intake air heater or some engines have both. So it's very, 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 very important. So your procedure, those simple things of letting the fuel pump prime, 
and it's going to be paramount to you getting that engine started. So I want to thank you so much for listening, and I want you to know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher in my beloved, beloved America. You have a blessed day, and never forget to be kind to all animals. An anniversary this month, the 50th year of the first clinic opening under USDA's Women, Infants, and Children program. The most powerful evidence-based public health program available for young moms, babies, and young children. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack Thursday, participating in a White House media call to discuss WIC and the need to fully fund the program, noting it currently serves 40% of all infants in the U.S. Of the 6.7 million participants, which is up about 400,000 from a year ago. Over 3.6 million of those are children. One and a half million infants and one and a half million women are beneficiaries under this program. Paul Throne is director of Washington State's Office of Nutrition Services. He says WIC is beyond a food safety net program providing essential nutritional support for developing children. In Washington State, we estimate that we save about 89 babies' lives every year. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Get everything we've got for 2024 with an annual subscription to Cowboy Channel Plus. Sign up today at CowboyChannelPlus.com and get on-demand access to the 2023 Encore of the National Finals Rodeo. The Texas Swing, over 950 live rodeo performances, and the 2024 NFR. Start the year off right by subscribing to Cowboy Channel Plus and start watching the Cowboy Channel today. Stay up to date with the latest ag policy news, conversations from Washington, D.C., market information, ag weather, agronomy, and more on Agriculture of America. Join me, Jesse Allen, on AOA every weekday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, 5 a.m. Central on Sirius XM Rural Radio Channel 147. Hi, this is Buck Trent from Hee Haw, and you're listening to Rural Radio 147 on Sirius XM.